uh, stepping out into the weather today. Uh, I know it's uh, it's a bit challenging. It was 70 yesterday, and uh, Merry Christmas today, right? So uh, Mike already mentioned this morning that we're entering one of the most important weeks of our year as we consider what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. I think one of the greatest challenges of modern-day Christianity is this idea that we can casually follow Jesus without ever really committing and going all in with who Jesus is. In fact, I believe that so much of our culture pushes back against the idea of of what it means to have a sold-out commitment to Jesus Christ. I mean, everything in our, our culture pushes back at the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father except through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who rules over our lives for those of us who put our complete faith and trust in Him. And so this morning, as we read the passage of Scripture and we saw the buffer video today, I want, to, I want you to be challenged by this idea this morning. And the idea is this, don't just follow the crowd. Commit to Christ the King. Don't just follow the crowd. Commit to Christ the King. Now this morning, a committed follower of Christ isn't just a part of the crowd, as we read in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. He's committed to Jesus Christ as the king of his life, as the king of his heart. And so, to some degree, those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ have come to an understanding that our loyalty and our allegiance belong to Christ, the king of the ages. Christ has claim on our lives. If you're here today, and there was a time in your life where you went all in with Jesus, And you committed your life to serving Him. And you recognized for the first time that that you were broken and undone and and, and lost and unrighteous in the sight of God. And because of that, you you recognized that Christ came 2,000 years ago and He shed His royal precious blood on that cross for your sins. And you put your faith and your trust in His sacrifice on the cross. He then became the King of your life. He then became the Lord of your life. Now, Commitment is almost a curse word nowadays, especially when you're talking about church or when you're talking about Christ. There are those uh, who know Jesus, those of us who are passionate about Jesus, those of us who follow Christ. Those of us that are in the race are marked by commitment to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to push back against the idea that you can just follow the crowd rather than being committed to Jesus Christ. I was talking just last weekend after church. I went home and ran into one of my neighbors, and we were talking about Christ, and we were talking about the church. And and this is what he says to me. He goes, Pastor Jason, he says, I don't know why I'm getting all the kickback today. So if I'm doing something wrong, just let me know. He says, "Uh, Jay, I don't don't know, man, what it is, but I I just can't imagine. I can't imagine giving up 25% of my weekend Uh, going to church. And I said, man, I I, I totally agree with that. I I understand that. And this is what I said to him. Because religion is an empty commitment when it's not built on a relationship with Jesus Christ. You with me? Religion is an empty commitment when it's not built on a relationship to Jesus Christ. And I believe that in our culture today, many people know what it is to be a religious person or a moral person or a good person, but none of that measures up to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And without a relationship with Jesus Christ, any commitment to a system or to a belief 
really doesn't matter because it's not undergirded and anchored to a personal relationship to the one who has claim over our lives. Maybe this morning you find it difficult to commit your life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never completely put your faith and trust in Christ and and you've never taken that step to believe in him and believe that what he did 2,000 years ago is exactly what you needed for your life. Or maybe you're here today and you have put your faith and trust in Christ and that commitment to go all in with Jesus is still a bit of a struggle. I'll tell you one thing, it's not always a popular choice to live one's life committed to the words and ways of Jesus. It's not always a popular choice to go all in with Jesus Christ. In fact, it can actually be kind of lonely. It can be lonely at work when you're asked to do something wrong or unethical, and, and they say, well, everyone's doing it, or this is just the way that it is. It might be lonely at school when other kids are starting to uh, experiment with drugs or with sex, or they're doing things on social media that, that shouldn't be done, that would be wrong, that would be sinful. And so it can be, it can be very lonely sometimes to go against the crowd and commit to Christ and to go all in with him and to live your life in a way that reflects the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you this, it wasn't that much different in Jesus' day. People wanted Jesus for their reasons, so they casually followed Jesus until he didn't give them what they wanted. But I want you to understand something this morning about Jesus and about this crowd and about what was going on in this passage of Scripture. And I want you to understand this. What they wanted and what they needed were two different things. What they wanted and what they needed were two different things. And like I said, it's not that much different in our day today than it was in the times of Jesus Christ. Because often what you want from Christ is not necessarily what you need in that moment. Jesus Christ, as he wrote in on Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, as the story tells us today, he was fulfilling a prophet, a prophecy from an Old Testament prophet by the name of Zechariah. It was prophesied that Jesus would come into Jerusalem to claim his throne, but what God's people didn't understand was that he must first go to the cross. And that the kingdom that Jesus would set up was not a physical kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. It was an eternal kingdom, and it was a kingdom that would transcend all other kingdoms. But the crowd didn't want a suffering Savior. The crowd wanted freedom from Roman oppression. And so Jesus came in uh, into Jerusalem to establish a kingdom that transcends every earthly kingdom ever, and that is the kingdom of God. And really, my friends, this is the kingdom that only this is the only kingdom that matters. Now I want you to picture with me just for a moment from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, there were many different people that made up the crowd. My wife and I, two years ago, were able to go to the streets of Jerusalem, and they're, they're very narrow streets. And the Bible says, and historians tell us, there were several hundred thousand people that were there uh, for the Passover and for the the, the, the different festivities that were going on that week. And so the, the city was crowded, and there's, the city was filled with all different kinds of people that were making up this crowd. I would imagine that some of the folks in this crowd were some of his disciples, some that, that were committed to following him. There were some of the Pharisees, and there were likely some seekers who heard about the man from Galilee, Jesus, uh, the one who heals and the one who uh, will, 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 will provide food for 5,000 and another time for 4,000. And so they were just seeking and wondering, maybe even wanting to just show up for the show. 
But one of the fascinating things about this group of people is that it wasn't a week later. And many of them that were yelling on this day, Hosanna, are now yelling, crucify him. And they would all abandon him. And what I want you to understand this morning is, is that sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. Especially when others aren't in agreement with your belief or your value system when it's anchored to and rooted in the word of God. Other times, it's easy just to go through the motions because that's what everyone else is doing. Sometimes it is easy just to follow the crowd. Sometimes it's easy just to want to fit in. But I'll tell you one thing. Most everyone in that crowd wanted the idea of a king. But very few stuck around when it came time for a commitment to show their love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, most of us that are sitting here today like the idea of having a heavenly king. Most of us like the idea of having a heavenly father. Most of us like the idea of knowing that we have a home in heaven waiting for us when we slip out into eternity. Most of us like to know that we have a faithful father, a redeemer, a friend, a refuge, a a, a strong tower, a rock, and a cleft in which we can hide. We like that idea of a king. But very few of us like the idea of a king who places his authority and claim over our lives to tell us what we need to do in our life in order to honor him. But I want to tell you this. Your life under the rule of Christ will always turn out better than when it is under your own rule. Your life under the rule of Jesus Christ will always turn out better than when it is under your rule. Because when Christ reigns, listen, he reigns for your good. When he reigns, when he has the authority, when he has the claim, and when we give him our loyalty and allegiance, when he reigns, he reigns for our good and for his glory. I'll say this much. It's a step of faith to move forward from a casual follower to a committed, passionate follower of Jesus Christ. It's a step of faith to do that. To put your life, to put your dreams, to put your ambitions into the hands of someone else and trust them with your life. To trust them with your destiny. To trust them with the choices that we make day in and day out, my friends. To go from casual to committed follower of Christ for sure is a step of faith. And I'll say this, it takes faith to surrender to him, and it takes faith to surrender to his will for your life. But there are three principles from this text that build our faith as we make these steps. And the first one that we noticed this morning is that we find it in obedience to his word. That's the first step, in obedience to his word. Now, in this passage of Scripture, when you look down to chapter uh, 21, verse number 6, Jesus gives them instructions, and he says, hey, look, I want you to go into town. And I want you to grab this donkey, and I want you to grab this colt. And if they ask you, what are you doing? You tell them, the Lord needs them. What I find fascinating about this is that phrase, the Lord needs them. That's a title claiming authority as Lord, even over what appeared to be the possession of someone else. Jesus is claiming authority. But what's great about this passage of Scripture is this. At his word, they obeyed his will. At his word, they obeyed his will. Never underestimate the power of simple obedience. Jesus gives these men specific instructions, and they just simply obeyed his word. There were no excuses. There were no buts. There was no rationalizations. There was no, uh, well, hey, we could do it this way. No, man, when Jesus spoke, when he gave his word, 
they obeyed his will. Following Jesus always goes against the crowd, and yet committed followers of Jesus will be marked by an obedience that demonstrates their loyalty, their love, and their allegiance. And this morning, if you've committed to Christ, his will ultimately then becomes your priority, and it takes precedent over everything else in your life. Paul said it this way, that he might come to have the first place in all things. Now, if you have teenagers like I do, you may have experienced what I call the pivot. This is when I ask my children to do something, and they pivot. Are you with me, parents? And so the pivot does this. Oh, I'll do it in a few minutes. Or, hey, can I do it this way? Or, or can I do it when I get done with this? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So parents ought to get a hallelujah amen up in here today, right? I call that the pivot. I remember reading years ago a story about a gentleman that was very interested in teaching his son about the idea of authority. And he was very, very, very strict to some degree in making sure that when he told his son something to do, that there was an instant obedience because he knew someday it might save his life. In fact, growing up, my wife was taught by her dad that obedience is doing exactly what you're told to do the instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Without all three of those components, you don't have obedience because you can do what you're told to do but grumble about it in the process. You can do what you're told to do and, 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 and not do it the instant you're told to do it. But obedience is doing what you're told to do the instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Anyways, this gentleman was very adamant about teaching his young son about following instructions. And if you have a young child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For instance, when you see your child walking over to an electrical plug-in, what do you say as a parent? Hey, let him try it out. He'll only do it once. Do we do that? I mean, I've done that. (laughs) My kids. (laughs) Right? Do we do? Hey, when we're in a parking lot, do we just tell our kids, hey, just run to the car? What do we do? Stop. And what we expect as parents for the safety and good of our child, because we know some things that they do not know, we expect instant obedience. No excuses. No rationalizations. No pivots. No buts. I'll do it later. I'll do it on my own time. Just simple obedience. I read a story about a man that taught his kids about the power of simple obedience. They were in a car accident. And he, in that car accident, had to give his son some specific instructions and told him exactly what to do. And his life counted on it. And his son's life ended up being saved simply because that young man knew how to follow his father's instructions. And friends, I want to tell you today, when we're committed followers of Jesus Christ, and we're not just casually following Jesus, and he's not just some add-on to our life, we're committed to obeying his word the instant that he speaks into our life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the second builder that we find in this passage of Scripture is this, is worship. In verse number 8, the Bible says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna. That's Mike said, Hosanna. I don't know what that is, but I'm from the south. Hosanna, we eat pecan pie and drink sweet tea. 
Hosanna. That's from the Greek. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Followers of Jesus have recognized Jesus as king. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? And friends, I want to tell you, some of you are here today, and maybe you don't understand what all of that means. But those of us who do, those of us who have acknowledged Christ as king, we understand that he rules and reigns, and our worship flows from a heart surrendered to Jesus as our king, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He, he is the king of the ages. And, 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 and thousands of years ago, when the world was spoken to existence, Jesus, our king, sp- uh, stood in the second person of the Trinity and spoke the worlds into existence. That's our king, Jesus Christ. They cried out, Hosanna, the one who saves. Friends, we worship the one who saves this morning. Aren't you, aren't you kind of fired up about that today? We worship the one who saved us, the one who redeemed us, the one who broke the bondage and the chains of sin uh, in our lives, the one who removed uh, guilt and shame and, and, and brokenness from our lives. We worship Hosanna. And this morning we have cause to rejoice. We have cause to, to shout and to praise and to lift up his name this morning. All because 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode in, not as other kings, with all the pomp and with all the circumstance, coming in on a gallant horse. No, our king rode in on a donkey. And he rode in through Jerusalem, and he was going to become our king by the way of the cross. God's people needed saving, but they just didn't understand what was going on. In fact, as I said earlier, what they wanted and what they needed were two different things. They wanted freedom from persecution, persecution, and Jesus was was offering them freedom from their sin. He was offering them freedom from their shame and guilt and bondage that they had spiritually. There was a recognition that Jesus saves, and they were honored to be in the presence of the one who would deliver them and set up his kingdom. Several hundred thousand people, if you can just imagine with me for a moment, Several hundred thousand people lined the streets of Jerusalem to welcome and worship Jesus the King. And I want to say this to you this morning. There was a lot of celebration, but there wasn't a lot of commitment. And it's easy for us to get caught up in the the emotion of the Easter holiday. It's it's easy for us to get caught up in the emotion of of a service like this, but it's another thing altogether to be completely committed and loyal and in love with Jesus Christ, the King of the ages. Because unfortunately, it wasn't a week later that the crowd would cry, crucify him. Peter Peter would deny him. And Jesus would go to the cross, and no one would stand with him except for the two Marys. You see, casual followers of Christ, casual followers run at the first sight of resistance. Casual followers run at the first sight of resistance. You see, casual followers will worship at the celebration, but the committed followers will worship, listen to this, in the cross. We we don't worship Jesus because of the good things he brings into our life. We worship Jesus because he was the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. I don't think we completely can understand this morning the humiliation that it meant to be crucified on a cross. It was so horrific 
that even the Romans wouldn't crucify their own by that particular means of execution. Many today wear crosses around their neck as a piece of jewelry, but in those times, in the times of Christ, it was a symbol of humiliation. Jesus Christ, our King, 2,000 years ago, rode in on a donkey, humble, as a servant, laying down his life for you and for me. And yet in every season of life, we're committed to Christ. When life is great, when it is gruesome, we are committed to him. True worship and acknowledgement of Christ Christ the King will always lead to a life of commitment. And this type of commitment is the byproduct of love. A life committed to Christ acknowledges that Jesus is our King and that he rules supremely over every season of our lives, no matter the highs or no matter the lows. And friends, this type of worship, this type of surrender, this type of commitment, comes from a heart committed and anchored to Jesus who is worthy of our allegiance because, listen, he stands in victory over death, hell, and the grave. And we can worship him this morning and we can move beyond the celebration to a life of commitment to Christ the King because three days later, he would rise from the grave and he would stand in victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's our King. But a third builder is this, not just obedience, not just worship, but proclamation. And I love this. In verses 10 and 11, the Bible says when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Could you imagine? Everyone's kind of geeked out that Jesus is showing up on the scene. Who is this guy? And this is what they're saying in the passage of Scripture. The whole city was stirred and said, who is this? I would imagine that there were some in the crowd that likely didn't know who Jesus was. I would probably argue, and some commentators said this, that some of the Pharisees were hanging around, and they probably with disdain in their voice said, well, who does Jesus think he is? There was a mix in that crowd, and the crowd said, this is is Jesus. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Friends, I want to tell you, Jesus was more than a prophet. He was Christ. He was the Son of God who came to save the world, and he was coming as king and redeemer and savior. And those who follow Jesus, listen, they're not ashamed to proclaim who Jesus is. And those of us who Jesus has transformed our life are not ashamed to let others know what Jesus has done for us. We're willing to step out and say, hey, look, man, I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was under the bondage of sin, and Jesus came into my life, and he set me free. Those who follow Jesus aren't afraid. They're not ashamed to proclaim who Jesus is. But sometimes it's a struggle, isn't it? Let's be honest. I don't want to over-preach this this morning, but for some of us, it can be difficult to proclaim Jesus Christ in our life to those that we encounter on a daily basis. I think right now, more than ever in American history, we're seeing a pushback and an intolerance towards the values that we hold in this book. More and more, those of us who follow Christ and live a life of commitment to Him and His will and His ways are going to find it increasingly difficult to stand up and not be ashamed of who Jesus Christ was and who He is. But just like in the Bible, there were many who struggled with this as well. Peter was one of those men. Peter was the one that said at the Passover, he says, Lord, if you go to the cross, I'll go with you. When he got to the garden, he cut off the 
the ear of Malchus and, and chopped his ear right off because he was trying to take a stand for Jesus. Jesus I, mean, I don't know if you find that fascinating, but it's just incredible. He just cuts a dude's ear off, right? I mean, if I did that in a church, if I would have done that in a church service, you guys would be asking for my resignation. I mean, just, he cut a dude's ear off. You know? It's like an episode of Lord of the Rings or something. Like, just read the Bible. It's insanely fascinating. Jesus picks that dude's ear up and puts it right back on. Who could do that? Only the Creator. Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, before the day is over, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And as that whole scene was unfolding, Peter looked over and caught the eyes of Jesus, and he wept because he knew what he had just done, and he fulfilled the words of Christ. Did you know Jesus? No, I didn't know him. Did you know Jesus? No, I didn't know him. Little girl walks up. I've seen you with Jesus, and he starts cursing at her. What's crazy is 30 days later, 30 days later, Peter launches the church with 3,000 people. So, friends, I get it. Sometimes it's a struggle to let people know what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And yet that's what he's called us to do as committed followers of him. Throughout history, there were others that have struggled to proclaim this powerful truth of what a relationship with Jesus can do to transform lives. But when we get to the place, and it's a process of sorts, isn't it? I hope all of us understand this morning, and I want to say this because we have a lot of new Christians in our church, a lot of baby Christians. And can I just say this? That's a a good thing. That's what healthy churches do. They give birth. They give birth. Now listen, when we have new followers of Jesus Christ in our church, guess what? They're not going to be perfect. You know how I know that? Because none of you are perfect. Right? God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for a people that are in progress. God loves you right where you are. He just doesn't want you to stay where you are. Where you are, And we need to come to the place where we recognize that everyone is in process. And listen, all of us, from time to time, like Peter and like David and Moses, Moses killed a guy with his own, like his bare hands. We're all, from time to time, we're going we're gonna to veer off the path. We're going to say things or do things that that are not aligned with the Word of God, but thank God for the church and for the family and the community that we have to bring us together so that we can be sanctified and we can walk down this journey together to be the committed followers of Christ that Jesus has called us to be so that when the time comes and when God sets us up in that moment, we can tell those that He has uh, given us an audience to that, hey, Jesus saves. And if you'll bring your life under his authority, it'll be unlike anything you've ever experienced before. So I want to encourage you this morning. I've been saved for 35 years. I was five years old. Remember my Uncle Clifford died? I remember asking my mom as a kid, you know, Mom, where did Uncle Clifford go when he died? Well, Uncle Clifford, you know, he, he was far from God, and he didn't know Jesus, and he died and went to hell. But my mom was too nice to say that to me and freaked me out as a five-year-old. I apologize if there's any five-year-olds in here today. But Mama said, my mom told me, she goes, you know, if Uncle Clifford knew Jesus as his Savior, and if Uncle Clifford had asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins, Uncle Clifford would be in heaven. Of course, I was like, well, what happens if he didn't? 
And she told me that side of the coin. Son, if, if Uncle Clifford didn't know Jesus Christ forever, he'd be separated from God in a real place, a literal place called heaven. And as a five-year-old boy, I remember walking into my daddy's bedroom, and I knelt down at mom and dad's bed, and I bowed my knee. And my dad led me in the sinner's prayer, and on that day, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. My mom and dad didn't save me. Their faith didn't save me. That prayer that I prayed, that didn't save me. But the moment that I recognized that I was a sinner, and the moment that I recognized that because of my sin, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for my sins, in that moment, I had to make it personal. In that moment, Jesus Christ saved me, and I've never been the same since. And you'd think after all this time that my faith would be pretty solid. You'd think, man, after 35 years and going to Bible college for five years and spending another two to three years in seminary and, and being in ministry now for almost 17 years, you'd think that I'd have a, a pretty solid faith, when in reality, I struggle in my faith probably every bit as much as you do. And what gets in my way more often than not is this. Who is going to be king of my life? Who is going to rule? And who is going to reign? And who's going to have the say in my life? And, and, and who am I going to bring my life under the authority of? And I can say this as a way of testimony that every time that I climb up on the throne that sets in my heart, and I take up residence in a place that I wasn't intended to take up residence, but Jesus was supposed to, I end up getting in trouble. I end up in a place that I wish I hadn't gone to. So I ask you this morning, is Christ king in your life? Has there been a time in your life where you acknowledged that you were a sinner and that you needed Christ and that he needs to be the king of your life, and the, the path that you're on, it just isn't working out for you. And for those of us this morning that have trusted Christ as our Savior, man, it may be a few months, it may be years, but I want to ask you, have you taken steps to build that faith? To build that faith where Christ is king? I love what Andrew Kuyper says because he says this, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, friends, that might sound a little intrusive to you this morning, especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior today. But I know that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament. There was a guy by the name of Paul who wrote the letter to the Corinthians. And to the church, uh, to, to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote a letter. And in that letter, he said to them, those who knew Christ as their Savior, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a you've been bought with a price. And the price of your life to secure your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins and an eternity in heaven and, and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ cost Jesus Christ his own blood. And like a slave in bondage that has been set free. Jesus Christ gave his blood as the payment to purchase you off of the slave block of sin so that you could be set free to live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this morning, you can follow the crowd or you can commit to the king. But there's no in-between. 
I want you to consider what it would be like to push back the darkness in our community this week. It won't be the crowd. It won't be the casual followers who are apathetic. Because commitment to Christ means that he rules and he reigns. And when he rules and he reigns, we can rest assured that God's got everything under control. And this morning, listen to me, I know this morning, for many of you sitting in here today, your life might be in turmoil. I think about Ms. Bev Kovar, who's up north, fading away, weeks, months away from slipping out into eternity. But I know that Jesus Christ is king. And while she is leaving this life, she's going to wake up one day more alive than she's ever been. This morning, Pastor Ben is in Kankakee, and he called last night and said, my dad had a stroke. We're meeting with the neurologist this morning. Again, his health is fading away. But I know there is a, there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he rules and he reigns for his glory and for our, our good. And this morning, your life might be spinning out of control. Your marriage might be falling apart. Your finances might be coming unraveled. You may be getting involved in some things that you need not to get involved with. Your, your job may be, uh, you may lose your job this week, but I want you to know that when Christ rules and reigns, he rules and reigns for your good. Man, it's so good. And this morning, you need to stop believing that you at the wheel of your life is better at steering than Jesus would ever be. Not to be funny today, but this is no Carrie Underwood song, right? Some of you are driving the car of your own life, and it's time for Jesus to take the wheel. A better way of saying that is this. I think it's time this morning that some of you climb down from the throne of your heart and allow Jesus to rule and reign. So this week, would you consider if you've been following the crowd, caught up in the type of emotional response to Jesus, or have you really committed your life to his way? Because if you have your faith built on obedience, worship, and proclamation, you will stand out from the crowd because you recognize that Christ, and Christ alone, is worth your love and your loyalty and nothing else. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, our musicians are going to come to the platform, and in a moment we're going to have a song where we sing and we lift up Christ. We lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But before we do that today, I just want to ask, as we enter into this most holiest of weeks, is there anyone that's here today that would say to me, Pastor Jason, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've never allowed Jesus to claim my life as his own. So if I were to die today, I'm not sure that heaven is my home. I don't know that I've been forgiven of my sins. And quite frankly, I don't even know if I have a right relationship with God. How many of you this morning would lift up your hand and say, would you pray for me? Because I don't know. But I'd like to, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Anyone at all? Just pray for me today. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Anyone else? Pastor Jason, would you pray for me? I, I don't know. I don't know. How many of you today would say, you know, Pastor, it's time for me to crawl down from the throne of my heart and allow Jesus to be the rightful king of my life? Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Yes, 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 yes. 
Yes, 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 and yes, and yes. Hands all over the auditorium this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray for the uh, young lady that raised her hand this morning that she didn't know Christ. I pray, God, that she would uh, walk forward this morning. Maybe we could talk to her from the Bible about how she can know for certain that she uh, can be saved, that she can have a relationship with God. I pray also, Lord, for those that raised their hands this morning that would say, hey, you know, I've been trying to steer my own life. I've been trying to go my own way. If I were being honest, I kind of think I know better than God, but at least I've been acting in that way. But I know I don't. And it's time for me to step down from the throne of my heart and let him be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?